0: Welcome to Deepen with Pastor Joby Martin. The Church of 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're praying this message helps you deepen your relationship with him.
1: Now let's dive in. Welcome back. We are in week four of If the Tomb is Empty. The tomb is still empty. So, fact. (laughs) We're in it, we're over halfway. Easter's coming quick
0: right around the corner
1: right around the corner
0: you dressing up what are you wearing
1: yeah last year I picked flowers from my garden and put them in my hat to have an Easter flower hat and then about second service they were all just totally wilted (laughs)
0: like You, you know why you won't do that this year why What's your baby's name? <laughs> Sunny. <laughs> yeah. If you can get there and it looks like you're, we have no flowers, <laughs> right, right. If you can make it to church and it looks like your Easter outfit wasn't kept in a condor cave, <laughs> you'll be winning.
1: <laughs> if I can get to Easter service, bro, this we're is how winning. I knew I wasn't
0: cool anymore. I don't, I don't know, I don't know if I was still your youth pastor when we had JP. I can't remember when you came along or whatever, I don't know and he came along mean. and all that. But for a little while, so you can't be cool past 22. That's just the rule. But you think you are until you're like 26, especially if you work with teenagers. <laughs> and so <clears throat> I remember the first time I show up to youth and I hand my baby to Abby, who's now on staff oh, with us. Her, yep. And I go to like say hey to all the cool kids and there's just puke from JP just no. running down the back of my arm. And I thought, okay, well that's it. That's it. And that's why I started working with adults. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and here we are. And so We can thank J.P.'s Puke that's to it. The tomb is now in. the Church of 11.22. Um, yes, Easter's coming. Super excited. Sh- shameless plug. I have no shame about this. If you don't have anywhere to go for Easter services and somehow you're listening to this, you should join us on one of our campuses or online. All Easter weekend, we have like 5,000 services. That's so. right. All right, let's get into it. The tomb's not empty yet where we are today. We're on the Mount of Beatitudes. Correct. The question for this chapter is: Are you chasing blessing, or the one who blesses? Which, again, these questions just—it's almost like you don't even have to read the chapters. You can just sit with the question, and the Holy Spirit can do something to your soul. So, tell us about the title of this one.
0: So, the the Beatitudes, I think, are some of the most misunderstood teachings of Jesus. We should probably talk about that. They, In our English translation, most of them say they all start with blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And we are a blessing craving society. We are. We all want to be blessed. Regardless of what you believe, if you say be blessed, then people feel like that is a positive thing. And oftentimes what happens is we chase our circumstances instead of the sovereign king. We chase the blessing over the blesser. We chase the gift over the giver of the gift. And so some translations translate that word that we translate blessing as happy. And some translations will say, happy are the poor in spirit and happy. The word is makarios. It means like, there's such a joy and peace and shalom and wholeness in you that it cannot be contained in you and it overflows out of you. That's what mm-hmm. that word means. So I don't know exactly how you would translate that. Mm-hmm. But that's the word. That's far different than bless me. Mm-hmm. Like some or sort hashtag of hashtag blessed. Right. Or mm-hmm. some some kind of like situational positivity in your life. And, bro, I'm pro it. I mean, given happy or sad, take happy, right? (laughs) Right. Given sunshine or rain, you know, depending on the circumstances, take sunshine, it's better. But what Jesus is talking about at the beginning of the Sermon on on the Mount is a different thing. Mm. This is a condition in relationship with God that you are at one, right standing with Him, at peace, to the point where you are overflowing with His goodness. And so we translate that, bless it.
1: So the Mount of Beatitudes, I have heard you talk about this, I think on a podcast you were on. Um, you've been there, and this is one you of the... You, I know, oh, you've been together. For sure. I would like to make a note that I was not there, although I'd <laughs> love to go there again. <laughs> um, I'd be a way better <laughs> podcast host if I could speak to this. I'll tell
0: me. you what, next time we go to Israel... You're my guest, seriously,
1: okay, everybody hear that that just that's happened. listening that just this just happened, just happened. Bam. R- right in stone, dropped. whoever's listening, <laughs> and we're going um be blessed, <laughs> so you talk about the Sea of Galilee, mm. and it sounds just picturesque and you in you say there's like headstones almost is that or am I using the wrong word describe right. going up to the mountain
0: so the first time we ever pull up into galilee so when you when you go to Israel, you fly into Tel Aviv it's like a super modern mega city I mean it's like a like going to Nashville or something It's not like New York big, but it's mm-hmm. it's all the things <clears throat> then you're driving across the the nation of Israel, and it's what you would see on like homeland, you know what I mean like these little kind of neighborhoods and stuff, mostly yeah. brown and red rocks. you go to Jerusalem. It's a hustling, bustling, mostly brown. Everything's made out of stone. You've seen 10,000 pictures of it, Mm -hmm. so you're kind of aware of that. But it's still a city. And when we go on our trips with church, we just chase the life of Jesus. That's what we do. Love that. Well, he spent the majority of his life in the Galilee. And when you get up there, the moment you kind of crest the hill and you see the Sea of Galilee, and you see Tiberias you go yeah this is where i would live too. <laughs> it's the best man if you've ever been to napa valley it's mm-hmm. like napa with the sea of galilee right there <laughs> there are these just big rolling hills but instead of instead of it all being vineyards there are there's palm trees where they get dates and mm-hmm. and what's crazy too <clears throat> there's pieces of it where you can see over the jordan into the wilderness into jordan it's all brown mm-hmm. and then there's The Jordan, and then in Israel, it's all green. They're, I mean, it's the middle of the desert, but in this one spot, everything's growing. And I don't mean kind of a little bit. It's like you're walking around in somebody's garden everywhere you go in Galilee. And I asked this, I asked this Israeli, I'm like, hey man, why is it brown over there and it's green over here? And he goes, Because this is the promised land, like
1: (laughs) duh. Oh yeah, I know that. But I mean,
0: I wondered if there was like some sort of pH. He was like, no, man, because God said, like, okay, (laughs) the soil is like. (laughs) Oh, you ask about the headstone. Okay, so when you get there, you go to all the places. Now they don't know exactly this spot where Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, but based on the topography of this part, it makes a ton of sense for the like acoustics of it all. Okay, and so everywhere that is a place, almost everywhere that is a place, there's like a. There's like a church and like the Catholics have one, and you know, there's a bunch of old school denominations have things. Sorry. So there's like a big bus parking lot, not there in the first century. But <laughs> then there's this path that takes you to the spot where he could have taught, or at least a spot like it. <clears throat> Beautiful path. As you're walking up there, there's a big problem. There are eight cement block things with plaques on them, and each plaque contains One of the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, the first one, right? Blessed are those who mourn. And I think as I was walking by him, the first time, I thought, well, this is the problem. This is how people think about the Beatitudes Mm -hmm. as eight separate compartmentalized blessings depending on either your personality type or your situation in life. I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind whatsoever. And here's why. Blessed are the, are the pure in heart. Okay. Would all the pure in heart folk please raise their hands? <laughs> because the moment you do it, you're no longer pure in heart. So who is that? Who is that, right? So I think what he's doing to introduce the gospel, I mean to introduce the Sermon on the Mount, and he closes it, I think he's introducing the gospel which are the Beatitudes, and then the gospel-infected life or the gospel ethic, and then he closes it with the gospel again. Now, whoever builds their life on this rock, and I don't think it's a, an accident that by the time you get to Matthew 16, he says, upon this rock I will build my church. He's talking about the gospel. So it's a big gospel sandwich there. Because if you read the Sermon on the Mount, here's what a lot of Christians do, make a big mistake is you just trade Moses' mm-hmm. law mm-hmm. for the Sermon on mm-hmm. the Mount as the new law.
1: And here you are again.
0: You just fail worse. Right. <laughs> now you're not just an adulterer for committing adultery. Now you're an adulterer for thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Now, at least you weren't a murderer in Moses' law, but in G- if this is just Jesus' law, you're a murderer if you've ever even gotten mad at your brother. Okay, so I think... You read the Sermon on the Mount and say, well, that's impossible. Now, that does not mean that we should not strive to do all the things he said to do. But in our own, when you read it and you think, uh-oh, I am spiritually bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Blessed are you. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. Blessed are the mm-hmm. poor in spirit. Blessed are you when you know that you're spiritually bankrupt. Mm-hmm. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God will be yours. What he means is the kingdom of God, you being adopted into the family of God, is now within grasp, within arm's length. It's the beginning of the gospel.
1: So good. So I just thought about this in this moment. This is the first mountain. So this is where we transition to now the Jesus Mountains, if you will. They're all Jesus mountains, but you know what I mean. Because <laughs> yeah. we have the Old Testament ones, yeah. weeks one through three, chapters one through three, and now we're kind of taking the turn. And we've done a series on the ser- the whole Sermon on the Mount, and it- we called that series Best Sermon Ever. Correct. Why is this the best sermon ever?
0: Uh, Jesus was the greatest teacher, and again, but if you look at his content, if you look at like, all right, if Jesus came if he was an intern at our church and he handed me that <laughs> sermon, I'd be like, it's too much material, bro. You might want to, I mean, come on, man. You talk about oaths, divorce, <laughs> lust. a I mean, lot of
1: different directions. <clears throat> yeah, here. like pick a lane,
0: man. We got multiple weeks. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's the best sermon ever because it begins with the gospel. It ends with the gospel and the whole middle is about how to live as a gospel-infected mm, person. So good.
1: So how is there freedom in the Beatitudes? We talked a couple weeks ago about with the Ten Commandments and the law, how there's actually a lot of freedom in the law. So where is the freedom in the Beatitudes?
0: Charles, what do you think?
2: I love the way that you've explained it in the past, which is they aren't eight separate blessings or commands or whatever, laws. It's... It, it, it's a progression. It's like stepping. You step into this place of intimacy with the Father, and then once you get there, then then you step into this next place mm-hmm. of intimacy, and this and this next place of intimacy. And I don't know. It's 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 for freedom that He came to set us free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It's uh, also I think the thing that has always struck me. Maybe not always, but as I've come to understand it more in my later life and i've come to know the old testament a little bit better everybody in the old testament the, the people of god lived under the curse of the law
1: mm-hmm.
2: it was crushing it was a yoke not even our forefathers could bear and the very last verse of the old testament says unless you get this right i'm gonna come and smite the earth with a curse mm-hmm. so that the old testament closes and The prophets go silent for 400 years, and the mindset of the people who are the the people and the children of God are left with thinking, How do we escape this curse? Mm. Then Jesus shows up on this grassy hillside and begins speaking the kingdom of God Mm. and what it looks like to escape the curse. Curse of the law. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. But Jesus is talking about life in the kingdom. I don't think these people knew what to do with it. Right. I think it probably absolutely blew their fuzzy little heads. They had no, they had no paradigm, no mindset, no understanding of. Holy smokes, he is he is beginning to talk about something that I get to live in blessing and in the kingdom of God, not because of how I perform or what I do or what boxes I check, but for some other reason.
0: Mm. So if you look at, he starts with blessed are the poor in spirit. Mm. That moment where you realize you were spiritually bankrupt, you were perfectly positioned to live in right relationship with him. Blessed are those who mourn. This doesn't make sense if it's just an individual blessing. Happier you when you cry. You're like, that doesn't make sense. Okay, here's what he's saying. When you're convicted of your sin and your heart begins to be broken because you've broken the heart of God, you're blessed. The third one, I believe, is the moment of salvation. Blessed are the meek. We talked about this in the sermon mm-hmm. this week. Meek is the Greek word for a bit-bridled horse. It doesn't mean you're weak. You've got all that power and energy, and you've turned the reins over to a different master. I love that. So there's the freedom, mm-hmm. Okay. So now the next bunch of blessings, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness is a right standing with God. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for that abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. Blessed are you when you're merciful, when the mercy of God is, is, passes through you to other people. Blessed are the pure in heart. Why? Because you, it's not your heart anymore, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, not peacekeepers the only way to make peace is that they know the Prince of Peace. Blessed are you when you tell people about Jesus, is mm-hmm. what I'm saying. And he keeps going, blessed are you when you're persecuted. Mm-hmm. So the first time I ever taught this at our church, there were literally picketers outside of our mm-hmm. church. I remember That's thinking right. the timing of this Jesus. Mm-hmm. 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 And he's saying, right. all right, good job, man. Good job. You're blessed when you get punched in the nose by this culture because mm-hmm. you don't live in this world. Okay. So the freedom comes in your meekness when you hand over the reins of your life to another master and Mm. trust him to guide your life. That's the freedom.
1: So good. I got this question from the study guide that goes along with the book, which is really a great tool. Yeah, we
2: read that, and we couldn't answer half the questions. Yeah, they're really good.
1: (laughs) I know some of them, I was like, well, i got to go back and look at the Bible. Um, It's really good. So if anyone's looking to dive deeper, it'd be awesome to go through with uh, a group of people. But um, one of the questions was, why does Jesus start with blessed are before he states the specific performances? What deep and abiding gospel lesson is he, sta- is he stating that undergirds the Beatitudes?
0: So that's good. <laughs> I know, that's good. <laughs> um, God the Father is the source of all blessing. When you are in a right relationship with him, you are the blessed. It is another way of stating that your identity precedes mm-hmm. your activity, so before we get it, ever get to what you do, you got to start with whose you are, mm-hmm. and who you are is defined by your what relationship you are with the Lord. The opposite of that, if you're in a wrong relationship with him, cursed are you. Mm-hmm in every aspect of your life. Because if you are not in a right relationship with the Lord, this is as close to heaven as you're ever going to be. This is as close to ultimate blessing as you're ever going to live in. And if you are blessed, if you are in right relationship to Him, this is as close to hell as you will ever experience. Mm. This is as bad as it will ever get mm. because Amen. you're going to be with Him.
1: So okay. good. When you talk about blessed is the man who is poor in spirit, uh, you mention Isaiah having that realization. So what is that realization? We can talk about Isaiah, but in general, what is that light bulb going off when you realize that you're poor in spirit?
0: Well, Isaiah encounters the glory of the Lord and the the train of his robe through. Fills the throne room and his confession is woe is me not wow look at this mm, it's good mm-hmm. so the woe is me <clears throat> is and when i think that god his son not sparing sent him to die and then the hymn writer in my opinion has this like parenthetical thought hold on I scarce can take it in, Mm.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. right? That when we see God in light of who he is, it allows us to see ourselves in the light of who we really are and that our depravity is infinitely greater than we ever even imagined. Mm -hmm. And as we continuously grow in him, our understanding of his glory and his wonder and his majesty is infinitely greater than we ever imagined. Now he doesn't get bigger. It's just our understanding of the magnificence of God gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that gra- that gap grows wider and wider and wider and wider. Like I am much more aware of what a wretched man I am today than when I was 17 and got saved, you know? Amen. And I have a much greater view of who the holiness of God and the gap between those two things is continuously gets bigger, and the only thing that fills that gap is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So blessed is the man when you realize the only thing that can bridge the gap between me and him is the cross. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: That's what that means.
1: So the people hearing this, do you think they were confused because they don't yet understand that Jesus is the one that's going to fill the gap?
0: Thing.
2: That's a good question. Maybe I, I don't know. I, I, possibly. Here's where. Here's where, Jesus takes it, which is we talked about this a little bit a little bit earlier. This this thing of being poor in spirit is something the Lord initiates and He does in us. The Scripture says godly sorrow produces repentance. Mm -hmm. Well, the sorrow comes from Him. It's poured out in us. That's why Paul prayed, I pray that the Lord might grant them repentance. It changed the way that I look at how I speak to people about Jesus because I can't make anybody repent. I can't make anybody become poor in spirit. There are a couple of things I can't do. I can't make you worship, can't make you love, can't make you repent. I just can't do it. Mm -hmm. But God in His mercy will do these things in us. I mean, it is true. We've seen it. On Billboard, Jesus saves. It is not Charles, not Job. We, but but the Lord in his mercy produces these things in us, making us poor in spirit. Mm. And so that when we get to that place, I mean, the first public recorded words of ministry out of John the Baptist, Stephen, Peter, Paul, Jesus, and five of the seven letters in Revelation, the first word out of their mouths is Repent. Mm. Now, we've been beat over the head with this as some sort of Bible-thumping thing, when in reality, it's the most beautiful invitation maybe in all of Scripture. Because without it, there's no walking into the presence of the Father. But with it, we step into the kingdom of heaven, where these things then become true about us, where we are blessed. I don't know if they were confused or not. I think he probably explained it a little bit more as he went along. But I think it's the beginning of, for this people, it stirred in them a hope. And we we experience it today. Mm-hmm. When we, at our worst, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, we begin experiencing the hope of maybe I'm not too far gone. Maybe I'm not beyond rescue. Maybe, And it, that stirs in us. So I think what Jesus does here is he begins stirring in them. Mm-hmm. This this thing in them where they are cry begin crying out for and crying out for that condition of heart and I think they begin seeing him as I think he might be the son of God.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's why I think so. Repentance at, at its most basic definition would be to change direction. I had my face towards the world, my back towards God. Now I'm going to flip that around, back towards the world, face towards God. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who turn over the reins of your life to another master because he's going to change your direction. Mm -hmm. And then it's directional language because you're going to inherit the earth. What does that mean? Well, you get to the end of the book. There's a new heaven and a new earth. And by the way, we don't all live in heaven forever. Heaven's a waiting room for the new heaven and the new earth. And we will rule and reign in the new heaven and the new earth and it will be yours. Mm. Jr. Vassar has given us a new definition of repent. Friend of 1122, preached saturated one time. And he says something like, <clears throat> repentance is my refusal to be at peace with that sin in my life. Amen. So good. Okay. So there's this. So they live in a kingdom. We finished the series called Upside Down Kingdom, right? They lived in a kingdom that said, you know, blessed are the jolly, happier those that are happy, happier those who are strong. He's, he's painting a picture of you've been created and called into so much more. You know, there's this old quote. I'll mess this up too. I can't remember who said it, some famous dead person. If you want somebody to build you a wonderful ship, don't teach them how to build a ship, but cast a vision that they would long for a life at sea. Mm. those are two different things Mm. right this is what jesus is doing this is what he's doing he's like life is there's a blessed life that looks different than the one that you live in oftentimes when we share our faith in the 21st century i think we i think john calvin started in the wrong place he started (laughs) with total depravity i think you have to start That there's a creator that created image bearers to live in a perfect right relationship with him. That's what's first and foremost deep in the soul of every man and woman. That's the longing. That's the longing. There's blessing. You know, I talk to people on airplanes about the Bible and Jesus all the time. I just have a thing I do. If you've ever you've traveled with me, I sit down. I always have work to do. So I sit down. I open my Bible. The person looks at it, and I'm like, "You want to do this? <laughs> you know,
1: we're gonna have to do it at some point. Right. Let's either get it over with right now." So now this
0: is where I lean back into Calvin. And if they don't <laughs> want to talk about it, not my problem. I can finish my work watching my movie. Okay, they're not elect. But if they do want to, however, but that's where we start. We start with this: you were created to be blessed by God by being in right relationship with Him. This world is selling you a bill of goods that that smells like blessing. It's actually a curse.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's where he starts. Then he talks about, he's going to talk about the gospel-infected life. Then he's going to bring it right back around and be like, all right, you got one of two options, world. You can build your life on the sinking sand of the temporary things of this world, or there's a rock. What's interesting, he says, because the wind comes, the storm comes, and one falls and great was the fall of it. He doesn't promise a windless, stormless life if you are blessed by him. He just promises that there's blessing in the endurance of it.
1: So good. I like to imagine that the people who are listening to this sermon, they have a Jesus-shaped hole in their heart just like we do today, and they're for the first time hearing this, the story of salvation. And I don't know, it just it fires me up. So, let's talk a little bit more specific. We touched on porn spirit and meekness, hunger and thirst for righteousness. So would you say you kind of give a new definition of righteousness, and then you talk about righteousness versus self-righteousness. So, let's talk about that for for a little bit. what What's the difference there?
0: <laughs> so, Paul, in Romans, in my opinion, does the most comprehensive job of telling us what righteousness is. And so no one will be declared righteous by the law. So righteousness does not mean right activity in the New Testament. It means right standing Mm
1: -hmm.
0: because you could obey the law and still not be in right standing before God. The problem with the Pharisees is they declared their right standing before God was based on their right behavior. By definition, that is self-righteousness. That's, right. That's what they were doing. So here when it says, <clears throat> blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, the, the Joby version would be, well, the, the Reformers version would be, blessed are you when you are gripped by a greater affection mm. blessed are you when you can't get enough jesus mm, that's good blessed are you when you open that bible and the fact that is the living word comes alive to you and you can't get enough blessed are you then blessed are you when you that abide man you've been there bro you've been you've had a prayer time you've had a worship time you've had a, a, a just a, a you're just like delighting in his word, you know what I'm saying? And you just feel like you ever okay with your baby, you ever notice how mamas wanna like they say the goofiest things about their babies? They're like, I just want to eat your face. Yes, you, I
1: literally want to eat her okay, face. Okay,
0: not literally, but I know what you mean. You figuratively, <laughs> figuratively. literally want to eat her face. Okay. All right, so that. Um Okay, so she feels that too towards you. So blessed are you when you feel like that? In your right standing with your heavenly Father. Here's what I think it's hearkening back to. I think it's, I think it's hearkening back to Adam. Mm. That God nostril to nostril breathes the breath of life in Adam. He opens his eyes, and his heavenly Father's like, I just want to eat your face. <laughs> <laughs> and that's been imprinted that. in the hearts of every human being. Man, I, I watched. I love. I, I've talked about this before. You can go on YouTube and watch this thing. My life with the turkey—is that what it's called, (laughs) bro? This Auburn grad—it's—it's—it's unbelievable. So he studies turkeys his whole life, and he gets these little batch of turkeys, like wild turkeys, and he—he's there when they hatch, and when they pop out of the shell, he's like—he's down there in the little incubator, and he's going making little turkey noises. (laughs) He's so good too. I wish I could take him out (laughs) and. And that's, they're the first face bro, until they are mature and rebel and run away from him, they follow him around in the woods and he can like, like brr, make turkey noises. And they just, so what they call that is imprinting. That when a baby bird sees the face of his mother, the face and noise are imprinted onto them mm-hmm. and they know that's their mama. I think that's what happened to Adam. I think that was passed down to all of us. So. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for that face-to-face relationship with their heavenly father, like Adam had. And then notice what it notice the the promise, for they will be satisfied. Mm.
1: Mm. What does that mean?
0: Rest for your soul. This is what I was created for. I don't need anything else. That moment, this is knowing your audience, that moment when your baby gets you. And just puts her head on your shoulder and just goes, "Hmm." Mm -hmm. because you know, other people hold her and she's like, no, this ain't it. Mm -hmm. And then she sees you and she's doing this. That's it, man. That's That's what we were created for.
1: So good. Especially in a world where we, it seems like we are constantly chasing fulfillment and we look for it in so many places. And God's saying, no, just rest. Just take a breath.
0: And so this is kind of gross and also <laughs> really beautiful too. Okay. So you breastfeed your child, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, I know man has created things, but leave that out. All right. She has to have you for a life. Even though if you gave her a Coca-Cola, maybe it would be sweeter to her taste right now. Mm. And she'd be like, no, this is better. It would kill her. She literally could not right. survive without you. She was created to be wholly dependent on you. We were created to be wholly dependent on God. And if we look to be satisfied, not just like feel good, but like our our nutritional requirements to be satisfied mm-hmm. outside of the way God has created that, then we will die.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We were created to be satisfied by a right relationship with him. That's why nothing else on this planet could satisfy.
1: No more baby analogies because it's going to be all stirred up. (laughs) Another another baby.
0: It works so good though. (laughs)
1: Um, Yeah, I love this. I love this quote. If your identity is in Jesus, your activity will change. You cannot be a fruitless Christian and be connected to the vine. So can we talk about being connected to the vine for a bit? You're both looking at me
2: again. (laughs) Hmm. Well, if you're not, you're not going to produce much fruit. I don't know. I guess, who do you spend time with? Like, Who satisfies you? Where do you, just like, we can go back to the whole baby thing.
1: Nope. New analogy.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I think that, Producing fruit comes out of, yes, being connected to the vine. One of the cool things I saw when we were in Sonoma, when you look at vines, most of the vines today producing wine, this is crazy, this blew me away, most of the vines today producing wine in this country and many in Europe use a rootstock that is not its own. So literally, the vines that are producing the best wines in the world are grafted into a rootstock that is resistant to all kind of mites and disease and all kind of other stuff. And they discovered that somewhere in mid-1800s or something, a type of disease was spreading across the planet, killed about 90%. I could have my numbers wrong, forgive me, but it's a huge portion of vines around the world. And yet they found in the Mississippi Delta, there was a root stock that was resistant to all of this. So all of the wine growers around the world are sending to, requests to Mississippi or somewhere in the Delta, please send us this root stock. So day, today, when you go to Europe, you look there, you find Mississippi <laughs> Delta root stock. But it's a beautiful picture. When you go to the vines right now in Napa, Sonoma, and you pull away the dirt, you'll see a root stock. It's pretty big and fat, fat and thick. And then this, this, this root... Growing wow. out of it. This vine growing out of it, which you know, just I'm so thankful that God saw it fit to graft us in, graft mm, me in. And it's
1: good.
0: Makes me think, does anything good come from Mississippi? I was literally about to say
1: <laughs> that Charles just redeemed yeah. the Mississippi. To everybody State that's going to Mississippi State, week. I just wanna let you know I'm great, kinda with
2: baseball yeah. There's some great stuff coming out of Mississippi and the great deer hunting there. There it is. And, and wine.
0: But goodbye. who do think all those Poo's and Napa <laughs> and France getting all their good wine from Mississippi. Mississippi. <laughs> there are some oh, you only root. got strawberry wine from Mississippi. There is
2: what's true. There's some root stocks that are like resistant to yeah, it, but the majority brilliant. of them are not and they are literally using roots. That is wild. That is that for is us.
1: And a further picture of the gospel. The grapevines just the the analogy is just endless for our relationship with the yeah. Lord. So
0: think about the, the word you even use is is produce. So there's a there's a big difference between manufacturing and mm. produce. So that when you go by, buy fruits and vegetables at the grocery store, that's called the produce section. Right. And it was produced, not manufactured. You cannot manufacture a vegetable. I'm there's sure not you a can ma- somewhere now. There's not a machine that builds it. There's not a right? It is there's a process. Right. It comes from something. It's actually a part of a greater body. There's a lot to this. It's from the inside out, not the outside in. If you take an orange and nail it to a two-by-four, it does not make it an orange tree. That's right. That that is legalistic, gospel-less Christianity. Do this, don't do that, so that you'll be a Christian. But have you ever tried to... The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Okay. Try to manufacture patience.
1: (laughs) Impatience.
0: The (laughs) sentence breaks down. Come on, patience. (laughs) I'm going to try. Okay. Right. No, 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 man. The Spirit of God gets planted in you. You lean in, abide in Jesus. He abides in you. And then this stuff starts popping out of you because it's in you.
1: Hmm.
0: And then sometimes it'll surprise you. Have you ever noticed sometimes when God's grown you in an area like peace? Um, there's some things that have happened this week in my life where I got information that on the surface for me is disappointing, but for it didn't bother me. And when it didn't bother me, I was surprised. I was like, how come I'm not more mad?
1: It and, bothered
0: me. And there's, there's a little bit that you're like, oh, he's doing
1: it. Yes. Like I'm being
0: sanctified (laughs) in an area. Yeah. And I don't know that I was doing anything specifically to pursue peace. It was just more like I'm in a sweet season with the Lord right now, and he's producing these things. It's really good.
2: One more thing on on the produce of the vine. Christy and I were in Sonoma. I'll go back to that. We're in Sonoma and meeting with these folks who, you know, he's showing me the rootstock and the vines and all that. And then we go back to his winery and we're tasting different wines and he I don't I'm not okay I don't have a palate I can't to me fruit forward and all that sort of stuff it's yeah. just yummy so all of my <laughs> explanations amated, were dude this is it's yummy leather and Christy is far much more developed in in being able to taste stuff and than all than I am and so we're tasting what was a 2017 Syrah from his vineyard he took us to the vines showed us the actual vines themselves on the dirt etc and we go up and we're we're tasting this wine and he's asking me how is it and I'm like like Robert this is just yummy. <laughs> I'm, I'm the worst. I'm my level of wine expertise <laughs> is like two buck chuck, okay? <laughs> and Christy looks at him and she says I don't know. I think I taste smoke. He looks at her and he says, "Wow, that that's pretty developed because what you're tasting is in 2017 the fires ripped across California oh, wow. and came through here and saturated the grapes with smoke because they hung out here for days and that smoke tainted or not or tinted and it saturated the grape and what you're tasting are the fires of 2017 so the, the Lord may use fire wow. in our lives to flavor us for the purpose of speaking and proclaiming his glory, years down the road, when That's when good. we he has produced this fruit and this wine in us, that you know, for his glory, it was, a, it was an amazing thing that the, the, the grapes keep the score, and the wine tells the story.
1: Not only a good gospel lesson, but also Christy should be a sommelier. <laughs> totally.
0: <laughs> well, and then you know, as Jesus gives this analogy about the the vine dresser, the Father. And you go to been to Sonoma, been to Napa, done the things. I am definitely not the wine connoisseur, but I go with Lars Peterson, who is.
1: Mm.
0: And me, I, me too. I've got the two categories. Like, what do you think? I'm like that goes up into the thumbs up. That's what I got: <laughs> thumbs up, thumbs down. There was a lot of up. I went a lot of down, but <laughs> the the intricacies that the vine dresser knows about it, mm. the detail. Like they're really into it, man. It is not just a means to an end to them. it's not it's it's a it's, it's a art, passion, yeah. it's a love, it's an art. It's all the things and then you think about the father who is the vine dresser and he knows every mm-hmm. thought we have, he knows every fire that's been in our life that has shaped mm-hmm. us. he knows where the rootstock came from he like he's really, really mm-hmm. into it, and so when he goes to prune something away and you're like, whoa whoa, whoa. no, 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 he goes, no, no, trust me." I've been here from before the beginning. You were an idea in my mind at one point, and now here you are. And I know what is best for you. Mm, Trust me.
1: So good. Why is it hard for us to believe that when the Father sees us, He sees righteousness? Why is it hard for us to accept?
0: Because we see (laughs) us. So one of the, you know, this beautiful... Picture that God is our Heavenly Father. It works, right, in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. But the shadow is, if you're a father and you're not a perfect father, you know what it's like to be frustrated with your kids. Mm -hmm. And so then, because they're frustrating, you know, like it, it goes on and on and on and on. Reagan, go into your room, get your shoes on. You need to leave for school in two minutes. Yes, sir, daddy. She goes into her room, seven minutes later, where are you at? I forgot. I'm just looking at my phone. You know what I mean? And you go, What is wrong with you? Okay. And then and then what happens in my mind is I put that in my mind and I think, okay, God said, All right, man, I gave you the great commission. Just go and share the gospel with the whole world. And then he comes back and checks and he's like, Where are you at? And be like, I was just watching Netflix. And then so what I immediately immediately do is think well just like i get frustrated i'm a frustrated father he must be frustrated with me Mm -hmm. and it's it's not the gospel see when jesus calls god father 189 times he's not a reflection of our earthly father he is the perfection of what it means to be father these are different things so we're not to lower our standard to what our earthly fatherhood experiences are to see our earthly fatherhood experiences in light of what a perfect heavenly father sees these are very different things the enemy only has access to our past
2: he doesn't know our future matter of fact he'd like to keep us from say that again people need to hear this the enemy the enemy only has access to our past he doesn't know our future Job said, now I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. The, the the enemy may frustrate the Lord's will in our life for a period of time, but ultimately he can't stop it. So his plan, I think, and it works really well with us because we're fickle people. He replays the video in our mind by showing us our rear view mirror all the mm-hmm. time. He wants to close out our view through the windshield in front of us and just cause us to focus on, you know, This thing that this identity that he gives us when, but the father that's not the father's will toward us. When, when, when I was working on trying to understand this idea of God as Abba and father, the Lord took me to a memory where we, Christy and I have three boys, they're now 24, 22, and 19, but when they were younger. Going, sorry, going back to the whole breastfeeding thing. Christy would be up in the middle of the night trying to breast, and it didn't, it didn't always work. Like you know, it's, welcome to Earth. It just yeah, doesn't it's always. Hard. So she would come in and exasperated, and she looked you know kind of like half like Medusa with her hair going in fourteen different directions. And she would hand me this screaming, crying, pee peeing, pooping, sweating, vomiting kid, and say, "Here, you do something with him." <laughs> so I would get up out of bed and take this beautiful little you know sweet child who's really screaming. And I'd go out in the den and close the door and try and let Christy go back to sleep. And I would strip all the clothes off, change their diaper. And I'd get on the sofa and I know you've done this, but, and you did it, but I would take them and I would kind of corral them in my chest. I would pull my shirt off, pull their shirt off. And so I'm, I'm laying on the sofa with my son's chest pressed to mine and they would invariably pull their knees up. So they're kind of, doing that little fetal thing laying on top of me and they would kind of do this and then sooner or later they would sort of tuck their nose into the nape. You know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Tuck their nose into the nape of my neck and when they could smell me they would often go to sleep and Christy would walk out in the morning and we'd be sitting there sleeping and she's like, how do you do that? When I was really working on trying to understand this idea behind Father and Abba, when you sort of unpack the definitions of that word Abba, one of them is, I long for your scent. Mm. Our enemy wants to keep us focused on our past history, on our shame, on our sins, on our whatever. And all the Father wants to do is bring us up close enough to where we know know what he smells like. Mm. Big difference.
1: so beautiful. Jumping down a few of the blessed ours we get peacemaker Mm -hmm. and you you said briefly peacemaker equates to sharing your faith can you talk a little bit more about that and especially this feels like a hot topic in our world today and the difference between peacekeeper and peacemaker because there's an important difference here
0: yeah americans we we define peace as a lack of conflict or a lack of war jesus who is a jewish rabbi who would speak in of hebrew the word would be shalom and it does not just mean a lack of physical violence or a lack of war it means like a completeness or a wholeness or an at oneness with god so it's not blessed are those who break up fights against people that don't like each other that's not what this is talking about blessed are the ones who make a wholeness or a completeness or a oneness with god happen Mm -hmm. well what is that well paul's going to tell the corinthians you were enemies of god but through the blood of jesus christ you have been reconciled unto him so now you are an ambassador of the ministry of reconciliation to reconcile other enemies enemies of god with the almighty god jesus is saying and again now what we're moving into here is you have surrendered your life to Christ. The Spirit of God has moved in you. Mercy is oozing out of you because he is rich in mercy. Rich in the Bible means more than enough. So God being rich in mercy, in other words, God gives you more than enough mercy. So you got more than you need for you. That means you got some for some other people. It's oozing out of you and it's getting on some other people. And now you are blessed when you help, when you as an ambassador of Christ, help make peace by sharing the gospel with people that are far from God so that they could be made right with God. And when you do that, you shall be called sons of God. So Mm -hmm. the way the part of we studied this as we were diving into the book, the, the Greek language used adverbs differently than we would use adverbs. And so to say somebody was a son of something was their version of an adverb. So... Basically, what he's saying is, blessed are you when you share the gospel with people and they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and are made at peace with him. When you do that, you're godly.
1: Mm.
0: It's like when the sons of thunder, they're called the sons of thunder. They're not called thunderly. This means like they were loud and obnoxious and that kind of thing. Well, in order to be godly, well, what did God do? He sent his son on a rescue mission to seek and save us. So you want to be like him? Cool. Be a part of the rescue team and get on mission to help people be made at peace with the Prince of Peace himself.
1: So good. Anything you want to add to Peacemaker? Okay, so I wish we, we had the time to go through each of them in depth, but read the book, listen to the sermons, because you talk about all of them. But I want to revisit, and, and you mentioned it at the beginning when we started talking, but when he closes the Sermon on the Mount and he talks about are you on are you building on shifting sand or on rock and what would be some indicators for people that they have built their house on shifting sand even the best of them who think i'm a good godly person but what could be some things that are bubbling up that maybe they're actually have built their house on shifting sand
0: <clears throat> so the house means their life the question would just be simply this Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior for your sin? If you're like, yeah, then why are you looking to money as your functional Savior? Mm. Why are you looking to a relationship as your functional Savior? If you're trusting Christ as your Savior, then why are you putting the expectations on your spouse to make you happy when it's not her job to make you happy? Because you just told me that your life was built on the (laughs) rock of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those are some of the deeper questions that you got to begin to dig around. The other thing is to ask yourself this. If everything around you came crashing down, would you still be okay? Would you be able to truly know Jesus is enough?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If the answer is no, there's a chance that you're trying to build your life on something that cannot sustain you. I've told you guys this before. I think we were planning Bay Meadows we were launching Bay Meadows Campus, and it was a, a, a bit of a, it was a moment of leadership like, are we going to do this? We're become, going to become a multi-site church and all the things, you know, cost millions of dollars and hire more mm-hmm. people and all the things. And sometimes we only believe the gospel for our salvation, but the gospel is not just like the... It's not the shallow end of the pool, man. It's the whole thing, deep end, diving board, the whole thing. It's the whole car, bumper to bumper. You know, it's not just like the starting fluid. I'm talking to my friend, Matt Chandler, and he says this. This is evidence of me building my life, not on the solid rock of the gospel. And I say, hey, I'm nervous about this campus. You know, what if it doesn't work? And he goes, what are you afraid of? And I said, bro, I don't want to be the limiting factor in what God does. I don't want to screw up what God wants to do. And then I said this, I don't want to let God down. And then he goes, well, bro, you ain't holding him up.
1: <laughs> that's right.
0: <laughs> All right, that's it. That's it. That's good. As if my life is built on my performance and the success of whatever ideas I think we should do. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to that. That's good. A lot of us believe in Jesus for our salvation, but do you believe in him for your whole life? Like, what does it look like for your marriage to be built on the gospel? It means you love her like Christ loved the church, right? What do your finances look like to be built on the gospel? It means you believe that it's all His. It's all His, mm-hmm. and you're trying to glorify Him with it all. Your relationships, what do they look like when they're built on the gospel? That we're not in this relationship for what I can get out of it, but somehow God has placed me in your life for His glory. What does that look like? Amen. These are... These are things to look at. For the long-term Christian that's going to heaven when you die, for sure, these are the kind of things we we look at.
1: You write about Acts 11.24, which you have it tattooed on your arm, and he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And you unpack this in the book really beautifully and we won't touch on all of it, but you cover a couple really foundational pieces that have happened in your life that have really led to this moment and are part of the foundation of the ministry of the church of 1122 McKinsey Wilson being one of them, mm-hmm. which that was when I was a student. I was a senior when she was a freshman. Wow. Um, and I was at her funeral that you preached and what was it? Over a hundred people mm-hmm. were saved. I mean, it was crazy um and then you talk about compassion and prosy so i don't know will you just give us again i know you talk about in the book but just talk to us a little bit about how those are building blocks of that rock foundation especially when it comes to the church of 1122
0: yeah when you get run over by the grace train everything should look different in your life and so some of those stories are just how god met me once again um Those two in particular is he met us, especially in those families, in the deepest, darkest valleys they'd ever been in in their life. I mean, I got a little girl. If I have to walk through what Blake walked through, man, oof. And yet, I had lunch with him the other day, and he would say, Blake would say, this is not the script I would have written for my life. I would have loved to rewrite it. However, here's what I know, that God is in control Heaven is not just a theological concept for me. It is a destination I cannot wait to get to. Mm. And from this day forward, I will try to glorify him in my life. That's what he, that's what her mama, Steph, says. When I met Prossy, you want to talk about walking through the valley of the shadow of death, man. She's smartest kid in her high school, trying to get go to college, can't afford it. She's got no parents, double orphan. And then, by God's grace... We get to meet her and our church gets to send her through college and to do all the things. And to both of those families, Jesus would say, blessed are you.
1: Mm.
0: Not because of your circumstances, but blessed are you because God is at work in all things for the good of those that love Him or are called according to His purpose. It is one of the greatest honors of my life that I even get to be a part of any of these things, Prosse and her story, the Wilson family and how God has used them, the 1122 family and how God is using us. And one of the questions people will ask sometimes, which I find funny, they're like, man, how does it not go to your head that you're in charge of this thing that's going awesome? And I'm like, bruh, when a mosquito grabs onto a freight train, the mosquito does not feel big.
1: <laughs> that's right.
0: And so when a sinner grabs on I really... The analogy breaks down a little bit, but you'll know what I mean. When a sinner grabs onto the grace train of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, he don't feel bigger and better and prouder. Mm-hmm. Nah, man. He realizes, I am spiritually bankrupt, and thank you that I would be so blessed that you would save me, and
1: mm.
0: I would get to know you.
1: So good. Any final thoughts from either of you for the Mount of Beatitudes?
2: Going back just briefly, you're talking about, you know, the Lord, I don't want to let the Lord down, and... Chandler's response, you're not holding him up. But the thing that we, we get at there is, I don't want the Lord to be disappointed in me. Well, for all of us who are in, and you've preached this, and I'm, I'm, I'm stealing your language here, but Please. for all of us who are in Christ, the Father has wrapped us in a robe of righteousness right. so that when the Father looks at us, he sees his Son. That's what's imputed to us. For the Father to be disappointed in us would mean He was. We'd have to be, by projection, disappointed in His Son, and He's not. Behold, my Son, whom I am well pleased. For for all of us that are parents, and you're going through this with with JP, or soon to be going through it, I'm going through it with all of my boys, because they're you know 24, 22, 19. One of the things, and it partly comes out of my own experience, my mom and dad never said to me, give me your plan and tell me how you're going to make it work so that you become something and you have some something to show for your life. That was never their question for me. To their great credit, their question for me was, why did God put you on planet Earth? Mm-hmm. Find, figure that out. Then go do that. And the the thing that came out of that for me was, I don't have to present the plan of how it's going to all pan out. I have no idea. Sitting here right this second, I have no idea how the rest of my life will pan out. But the way that's filtered into Christy and my rearing of our boys is not as they've gotten older, what are you going to do with your life? That, that That's never, and I pray that never enters our conversation. My question is recently with Charlie yesterday on the boat. He's 24. He's about to graduate grad school and he's married. And, you know, I mean, the whole, you know, there's a lot. Everybody's asking him, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I I, I just keep trying to affirm and encourage him, son, you do not have to answer that question. The only question that you have to answer is, God, what is my next step? Mm. I want to follow you. I want to pick up my, I want to deny myself, pick up my cross and follow you daily. So, what does it look like? And what is the next step? That's all he has to answer. Because if we just do that, we just follow him, and then there's no wrong destination. Yeah, sure. I don't, I don't, I don't have some pre-projected thing where I've got. I mean, I, I can see my son's gifts, and I know what they're. I can see some things that are they're good at, and I have hopes and dreams and aspirations for him. But at the end of the day, I want to, I want to be able to look at my sons and know that they're just walking with the Father, mm-hmm. and that their prayer with their wife or whomever is. Lord, what is the next thing you have for us? And I would so if you're listening to this for some reason, I don't know. Maybe the Lord took me down this rabbit trail. But the question is not how are you going to make it all work. What's your plan? I, I know I'm speaking in contrary to a lot of that, but that's that's not biblical. The biblical model is Lord. What's the next step? We we. We see this in, I don't know, Genesis 20-something, The Abram sends out his servant mm-hmm. to go find the bride.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, in, the, in that chapter, the servant is never named. He's referenced over 40 times, but his prayer is, Or would you please prosper my journey? We've bastardized that and made it seem like prosper is cash money prizes. Prosper means just to accomplish the orders of your commanding officer Mm -hmm. and be able to return to him, having accomplished them and wanting more orders. But it's an obedience of what's the next thing. So if you're trying to figure out the rest of your life, just get on your face and ask the Lord, Lord, you don't have to show me the whole plan. I probably couldn't handle even if you did.
0: (laughs) Just what's what's the next thing? Charles doesn't know this because there's no way for you to know this because he's not on our creative team. But the next podcast coming your way in this fall is we're doing a three week series called The Next Thing.
2: Hmm.
0: Well, that's the uh, <laughs>
2: that's <laughs> there you go. The video
1: promo for that one.
2: <laughs>
0: that's great.
1: That's good. Any final thoughts from you, Pastor Jimmy?
0: How about you pray for us?
1: Let me let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are we're just grateful. We're grateful that The Beatitudes aren't a list of commands to try to fit into or boxes to try and check, but it's actually just the tracing and the building of the redeeming story of you. And so we're just thankful for you, and we ask for more of you. God, I pray that if anyone's listening that feels disqualified, that they've done too much, they're counted out. Lord, I just pray that you would draw them back in and that you would restore the joy of your salvation to the three of us in this room and to anyone listening. God, you promise your shalom, and it's so much deeper than peace. And so I just pray that we would have that moment of lying against your chest, breathing out and knowing if everything else fell away, God, we would be okay because we have you. We love you. We're so grateful to do this to serve you. God, to just open your word and learn more about you. We pray that you would be glorified in all of it. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you guys. We'll be back next week for the Mount of Temptation. That'll be a fun one, um, but so grateful for this time together and can't wait to do it again next week.